0: We're really glad that you're worshiping with us online or you're here in the room. I'm Charlie, lead pastor here. And if you were here earlier, Mark mentioned that we're starting a new series today um, talking about uh, the church and, and, and why it matters and what it is that really God has called us to be a part of here and, and why it's of great significance. I think a lot of this has just kind of been coming to mind over the last few months is like when the ability to meet in the same room together on a Sunday just kind of all of a sudden evaporates... And 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 you feel this kind of this loss, this like well, what is that? And then, then suddenly you get used to it over the course of a few months, and you think, okay, well I'm going to try to try to do it again at, at a time when maybe it's like, oh, it seems kind of risky and weird, and is it, how how important is it? And like I don't want to tell people like, man, the only way you can worship God, you have to be in this room, and like all of these. If you if you've been responsible for anything. You just know the the overwhelming anxiety and just kind of battling back and forth as you think about trying to re-engage. But the more that we just continue to talk about it, the more I process it, the more we prayed. It was just it just became incredibly important that if we can do this in a safe way, I mean, we, we we need to be together. And it's just kind of sparked some conversation between Mark and I. I was like, Well, what is that? What is that thing that maybe we intrinsically feel that maybe not everyone does? And, and and what is it about the way that God's designed us that makes me just very confidently say, "Man, us being together, us being God's church is important." And so then we've put together the series over the next few weeks and look forward to it. And as I was kind of processing all of this this week, this phrase came into my head. Um, it, it's been back there for a while, and it's this phrase. That was, uh, it was it came around in the '90s. It's been around longer than that, but it was a big deal there for one a bit of time in the 90s, where it talks about that it takes a village. And specifically, it came out, it takes a village to raise a child. And the reason why this was kind of a deal, it was a little bit controversial, and uh, it didn't necessarily need to be, but Hillary Clinton wrote a book in 1996 when her husband Bill was president. And that was the name of it. And the idea of it, theoretically, was is that really, if we're going to be a community man we can't just we can't be isolated man it takes all of us and all of our involvement especially with children to raise them and as you know if you think that politics became controversial like 3 years ago i would like to assure you that for longer than some of you have been alive again 1996 or some more than, than your memory goes back that far so what immediately kind of in the immediate aftermath of that was is what people thought or believed that she was saying is it takes government to raise a village. It doesn't take government, it takes a family. And so that was that was that was this fight. There was this fight where we're not really we're not really saying diff, we're just we're just missing each other and we yell and we get really angry. But it, 24 years ago, the, the controversy and the fighting about that would have just seemed just downright wholesome um, <laughs> compared to the world that we live in right now. But it does kind of show kind of two primary uh, f- uh, political philosophies that are out there right now. And just to oversimplify them, don't get mad, just to oversimplify them, one is based on this sense of kind of more of a collectivism of, man, we need... We need a strong government. We need to be able to rely on that government. We want a, we want a government that's involved. Versus we'll just call, on the other hand, a rugged individualism. My, my situation is up to me, and, and, I, and, if, and, if, and if whoever the they's are, if they will just leave me alone, then, then me and mine will be fine. And I'm not necessarily asking you to pick one of those. It doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. Pick your political philosophy as far as what you think is the best system of government. But the bigger that those, either of those two ideas become in our brain, the more we begin to believe that not only is this a political ideal, but is actually the way the world works, is the best way for the world to work. What I would say is that what happens is that God's people lose sight of what it is really that God has called us to. If I live in a world where I think that the government is responsible to take care of the needs that are out there, if I live in a world where I believe that the individual is responsible only for themselves, then I'm going to miss on what God has called us to. We'll just use a very simple example. When you see someone soliciting in some way for... For food or for money. It is, it, is, it is very likely if you believe in one of these philosophies, you're, you're going to see a failure. You're going to see a failure. The government is failing our home, uh, the people in our community who are battling homelessness. You are going to look at it, it's a failure. This person is, is, is on drugs and has made terrible decisions. And if they want to get back to where they need to be, that they have to do something. But what God has called us to do and to be as his people is to collectively, as his church, as the people of God, to say, God has called on us to bring hope and life to this world, to bring hope and life to individual people. And we do this together. And when we see needs, we think, this is what God has called us to do. I'm not looking to some other group, and I'm not looking at this person. You've got to take care of it yourself. I'm saying this this is one of the reasons God put us here. And I think it is important for us as we spend some time over these next few weeks to gain a stronger sense of a collective identity of what it means to be God's people and ultimately what God has called us to do and to be in order to be his church and his people in our community in this world. And so... Um, It really does. It does take a village. It takes a village to do whatever it is that you just have in your mind right now. It takes all of us. And God has been in the business from the very beginning of his word in creating these villages. Creating groups of his people that he brings together to encourage and strengthen each other. And ultimately then he puts them on mission to go make a difference in the world, so we're going to start at the very, very beginning, just about as early as one can, in one of the very earliest conversations that God had with anybody, uh, in Genesis chapter two. So in Genesis chapter two, we've got um, we've got Adam and Eve in the garden, and there's this um, there's this story. It's 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 kind of weird on its face, but God's obviously he's trying to convince Adam of something that. That God already knows is true. Where Adam comes in, and, and God's bringing all the animals in pairs. Say, hey, look, there's a there's a there's a a, a, a guy elephant and a girl elephant. That's interesting. He's a guy dog and a girl dog, and they keep and they keep going by. and say, why don't you name them? Name them? Name them? And it says, and then God's like, man, there and there just wasn't there just wasn't a match for him. Like, of right, of course there wasn't. Those are dogs and chickens, right? There's and, and but what he was doing is trying to show Adam something. That was true. And then God said it this way in verse 18 of chapter 2. The Lord God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So I want to make sure that we're clear on the picture here. Adam is in the Garden of Eden. There is no sin in the world. He has a perfect relationship with God. And God looks at this situation and says, "For the first time, in Genesis chapter one, he created this and it was good, he created this, it was good, he created this, it was good. It was all good good, 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 good." And then suddenly he was like, "This is not good. It is not good that he's alone, even though there was no sin in the world, and he had a perfect relationship with God, a perfect, essentially face-to-face relationship with the God of the universe. And God looks at it and says, "It's not good that he's to be al- that that he's alone." And so I'll say it this way: We were designed to be together. Now this is often this is often used in Genesis chapter two verse eighteen. It's often used as, you know, in a in a wedding context. You know, probably maybe the pastor brought it up at your wedding, right? It's about it's about God bringing people together. It's not good to be alone. Create the helper. You keep reading Genesis two and. You can, make, you can make a good marriage sermon out of it. There's like three or four basic passages that all pastors know. We kind of pass them around to each other. These are, these are the passages you can preach on at weddings if you'd like. And that's one of them. But I would like to say that there's a lot more going on here than that. That is part of what he's saying. But it's more than that. Because, if again, if you look through all of Scripture, there are times where God says that he has designed certain people to not get married, to be single. Says, in fact, the New Testament refers to it as a spiritual gift. Singleness is a spiritual gift that God gives to certain people. Now, but still, this principle is true. It's not good to be alone. We were never designed to be alone. We were always designed to be together. Your need for other people is not a bug. It is a feature. It was planted and created by the God of the universe... And it was put into you. You need this. It is not a reflection of your own weakness. It is not a reflection of some sort of problem that you have in your relationship with God. Adam had a perfect relationship with God. And it was not good that he was alone. And so I think there's this sense in which we all felt it for just at least for a minute... Back in mid March, we felt that. I mean, there was a lot that wasn't good, but that was just one of the things that wasn't good, right? This is just not good. And and suddenly, when you lack the ability to connect, even if you even 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 the even even the super introverts who were like like uh, who, who were like I, I don't really I don't really like people. Why do I need a friend? I, I, another friend? I have one friend, and I don't and, and I talk to that friend once a year, whether I need to or not, right? Even those people, like, like for a minute, like, like for a little while on, on, on social media, they are posting like, oh man, introverts, we're loving this, who even cares? And even they, that, even, they, even they started to crack after a while, right? But then I'm afraid that something's happened since we cracked. And to use the metaphor, let's say that what cracked is, is, is my leg. That hurt, and I knew it hurt, and, and there was a problem and I was looking for a problem. But then what happens is, if you can't fix it, well, then you just kind of start to learn to walk with a limp. And then, then, then as you're walking with a limp, you've decided that that limp is normal. And you do it long enough, and it's not a limp. That's just how people walk. And some of you, pre-COVID, we're walking with that limp, and as people say, you as I say, you need other people. Like, I don't, and you think, well, maybe I do, but I don't want it. Okay, well, that's fair. At least, at least, that's honest. But the idea is, is that way too many of us have been walking with this limp that says I don't need people, and and meanwhile, a little bit, your soul is dying and decaying every day your heart is kind of collapsing because there is, something, there, there is something in you that you need in the same way that one needs food and water and air god designed us to need each other and so it is very important for us as we are reengaging with this world to make sure that we understand that 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 that, that principle is that we were designed this is design this is not a, this is not a, it's not a flaw it's our design the second thing that I, that, I, that I would like to mention is this, is that God very often thinks of us collectively as his people. Now, I almost just took all the hedging out of that in, the, in, in my phrasing of this, that, that in the Bible, I almost said this, in the Bible, God's always talking to us as a group. And I'm always hesitant with always. Because then one of you will be like, you'll find some verse that you think nobody knows up, Zephaniah, and you'll send it to me and be like, Bye bye, and then you'll dismiss the larger point. So I hedge enough on this, so that you'll, you'll get the big picture idea. When God is talking in the scriptures, it is almost always to a group. Some of your favorite, if you're again, I, I, if if you're the kind of person you got you've got like you've got like favorite verses, and you've got. You know you know you, you know, screensavers or whatever them. The, these promises that are, that are out there is like i've got i've got I've got plans for you to prosper you i'm going I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift you up on wings like eagles. all of these great promises, these promises were given to groups of people, to God's people broadly. We take these things again, in part because we're Americans, and we take all of these things and we say this." This is for me. It's for you too, but it's for me. It's for me, it's for you. We don't think of in terms of I look at what God promises and think this is what God is offering us. This is what God is telling us we can do. This is what God is telling us we should do. This is what God tells us that we can have. We don't think like that, but the Bible almost exclusively just thinks like that that these are the things that when we're together, being who God has called us to be together, doing the things that God has called us to do together, then we will prosper in the way that we were meant to prosper. So I'm just going to just, I could have done this all day, but I'm already, I'm already behind. Okay, I just picked a couple of things here. First, Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. I'll give you a good one, and then I'm going to give you a bad one, and you're not going to like the bad one. <clears throat> Exodus 19:5 and 6. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So this is God talking to Moses and telling Moses, what Moses needs to tell the Israelites as they are heading from being enslaved in Egypt to this promised land that God has given them. So again, this, this creation, this building of a village, of a people, of a, of a people that God is working through. And again, this great promise. I mean, if you'll just obey me and keep my covenant, then you're going to be my treasured possession. You, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can make a cross stitch out of that. You can, make a, you can make a poster out of that. You can do whatever you want out of that. But it is not a promise that is given to you it was not even a promise that was given to individual israelites it was given to god's people if, if you will, will will commit yourselves to me then you will be then you'll be mine and it says and then you will be a holy nation which is you will be set apart you will be this shining example to the world and then ultimately you will be a kingdom You'll be a kingdom of priests. And when you see priests, don't think like, you know, necessarily with, with robes or collars or anything. Just think about, essentially, a priest's role was to be kind of a go-between between God and other people. And so what he's saying them is that all of you, whether or not you have the job of priest or not, all of you will be priests, all of you will be my priests. You will be my representatives. This will be like, you're my ambassador. You're my person. And you're going to put you out there. But all you... Have, if, if if you will do this. Not you. Not you. You. If If we will do this, then we will be able to be this for God. Again, it's the way that God seems to think. And here's the bad example of that. Joshua chapter 7. We're now all the way to the promised land, and they are now conquering all of these different towns, and God would give different rules before and after of kind of what they were supposed to do, and in this previous battle that they have just fought, God said, you can't take anything, no gold, nothing. You, 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 you take over the town, and you leave all the spoils, the cattle, the sheep, the gold, the jewels, everything. You don't get to take anything. Sometimes he told them he could, sometimes he told him he couldn't. God kind of had his own little agenda going. But what happened in Joshua chapter 7 verse 1 is this. And listen to the wording of this very, very carefully. But the Israelites, plural, the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. So this is whether or not they could take the stuff. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger... Burned against Israel. Now, I, I never want to assume that people are paying attention at church. Like I I, 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 I don't. I mean, it's it's it would be it would be it would be a mistake on my part to assume that you were completely paying attention to that. The Israelites were unfaithful to God with regard to this commandment because one dude. Took some stuff. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel. One dude out of hundreds of thousands of them disobeyed the command that God gave. And it says that God's anger burned against Israel. And in fact, in the next battle that they fought, um, they, they suffered losses like they hadn't before. And Joshua got really upset and sad and frustrated, like, what's going on? And um, it was because of this one dude. Now, Americans, you're upset about that a little bit. Now we've got is God fair questions. Right? This is this isn't fair. This isn't right. How could God make other people suffer for what somebody else did? That's not right. I do my I I I, reward me for the good things I get and, and punish me for the bad things I do. But don't don't this 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 is not right. But again, we only we only like it when it works against us. We don't. We don't. We don't really mind if if we inherit good things, if we inherit a, a, a stable family or a stable life in some way, or get something good like that that we didn't necessarily earn or deserve. But something like this, well, this is not fair. God, it's not, it's not fair. And I'm not asking you to suddenly decide that it's fair. What I am asking you to consider is God views this as a group. We are in this together, and it would not be very difficult at all for me to convince you that we are, in fact, interconnected, whether you deem it fair or not. You can say that one person's sin should not affect me, one person's bad decision should not affect me. How many people's bad decisions have affected you? This virus didn't drop out of the sky. This is a series of bad decisions that went somewhere. And I'm not going to get neck deep in conspiracy theories. So whether or not someone ate a bat or it got accidentally released from, a, from someplace, I don't know. But some people made a series of bad decisions. And because we are all interconnected, it affects all of us. And this is just the way the world works. And it works very specifically, too, with God's people. So you fast forward to the New Testament and the way that Jesus talked to me. When Jesus is giving his, his commandments, his, again, his promises, you are the light of the world. Again, now, now I feel like I shouldn't point. When I say, well, not you, not you, because then, you know, like, not you, right? Not you. You, you are the light of the world you are my chosen ones and collectively you together, God has said, you are the light and the hope that this world needs. And there there are a few advantages to that. Because if I say to you, you are the hope of the world. It is up to you to make a difference in this world. You have to change the world. You Hmm. <laughs> you though. You you could do a lot of great things. You 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 do great things all the time. I almost make wish we, we we spoke a different language. So it would be very easy. I, I guess I could just go southern. Y'all, you would struggle, but y'all be great. And again, so then it comes down to this. He has given us a great mission that can only be done together. We've already talked about one of those verses. That, 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 that we are hope, that we are light. This is what he said. You are the light of the world. The world is a dark place. And he has called you. He has called us. Us to be light. To bring hope and life to this world. This is us. And in the last thing that Jesus said, Acts 1.8, But you, y'all, you all, y'uns, you will receive power. Now again, that's not to say that in this instance you will receive power. You will. But But again... God is thinking, you, my people, you will have great power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, plural. Not you will be my witness, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is not a small thing, but this is what God has called us to be. He has called us to be his witnesses, both where we live in the surrounding area and ultimately to the very ends of the earth. And this is what we can do if we all decide that we are going to do this. So we stand up here and we get all excited and fired up and say, man, we can make a, we can make a difference in this world. We can make a difference in our community. We can really do something to eliminate hunger in northwest Arkansas. I don't think there's anybody here who thinks that they can eliminate hunger in Northwest Arkansas. But you know what I believe? I believe we can. Now we've got to get a little bit bigger with our we, right? It's not just us here in this room. But there's lots of us's out there in Northwest Arkansas. And collectively together, we can do this. You can't eliminate hunger. You can bring an extra, buy an extra bag of groceries and bring it with you on Sunday and put it in the pantry. You can do that. You can't stem the tide of generational poverty in our community, but you can buy a backpack and fill it with school supplies so that an impoverished kid can have school supplies. You can do that. And if you do that, and 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 you do that, then suddenly you have tackled a really big problem. You can't bring hope and life and the gospel and the message and the power of Jesus Christ to this community. You can't. But you can reach out to a hurting co-worker. You can reach out to a hurting neighbor and model your life and live your life and talk to them about what God has done in your life. You can talk to one person. You can bring hope to one person. You can bring one person with you to church. You can invite one lonely person to your small group. You can do that. And if you do that, and you do that, and you do that, and you do that, then suddenly you have done something incredible. And now people who desperately need Jesus all over northwest Arkansas are finding hope and life in Him. Because each one of us individually recognize, I have a part to play but it's us all together. None of us, just even even something as simple, none of us here can make a church service happen. One of the best quotes I've ever heard was from Andy Stanley. He did, he tries to do a good job of um, thanking the 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 people who run the tech at his church every week, and he talks about how valuable they are, how they're the most important people, you know, and then it's like, oh, it's and sometimes they think it's a false compliment, and he's like, no, man, it's not. Because without you, I would just be preaching on my front porch to whoever was unfortunate enough to walk past. And without the people that pay the bills, without the people who come in and turn on the lights, without the people who run all the things, without the people who are thankfully taking care of the toddlers, and and all of the things, and again, I understand that without coffee, you couldn't do it either, right? And so it takes, it takes, it takes, it takes... All of us together, we do something really great. I've been overwhelmingly impressed. And I don't, I mean, they don't like a whole lot of attention. But but the abilities that they have shown over the last few months to pull off a high quality production every week for the last five months that is going out all over the world. And we've heard from people from far and away. It's impressive. But not any one of them could have done it. But they collectively did it. And we collectively are making church happen every week. And we collectively can go out into our community and make a difference. We can go out and bring hope and life to people who desperately need Jesus. And ultimately, we all together can bring this message and hope all over the world. Maybe we're not all going to go, but enough of us already have. And we are collectively pooling our money together. And we've sent a lot of people to do a lot of great things all over the world. But it is when we have a we mindset. So do not get used to that limp. You need the people around you. And recognize that whether you want it to be true or not, our, our fates are tied to each other. God is looking at us all together. We are in this together. But then together, this great mission that God has given us, we can accomplish it if we will. Let me pray.